Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, once again we come before you thanking you for the blessing of being able to assemble in the congregation of the Lord. We ask our God that you would Bless the furtherance of this service that it would bring honor unto you. We pray that it would minister to the soul of each one who hears the message. And if it is honoring unto you, we would assume that what is being said would be in truth and harmony according to your word. We know that the Holy Scriptures not only come from you, but they are full and teeming with truths of all sort and overflowing. There's no way that the human mind can dig out and comprehend all that is contained therein. And you know, my God, from my own studying, that so often the case is that there's so much that I read and so much that comes to my mind that I often appeal to you to bless me to say what needs to be said. And there's so, so much, much more that could be said that not only we do not know, we forget so much of that which we study. We look forward to the day when we shall be like our blessed Savior. We will not have a sinful body. Our minds and our emotions and the whole constitution of our being will be of such that we will not only be blessed to express love and worship and devotion to you sinlessly but we will be able to comprehend and receive far far greater truths than we can ever imagine as we live here upon this earth we pray that you will continue to watch over and keep us As long as we live, 
our lives out. And you have promised to do so. And we thank you for that. For those who are sickly and absent from us this day, we would pray your mercies upon them and healing mercies. And again, we would ask for healing mercies for our nation. It's amazing not only the wickedness that a sinner can fall into and or do, but it's amazing the wickedness of a society. We're born with a wicked heart, dead in trespasses and in sin. And if you do not open that heart, we'll just hate thee that much more. And if you lift your restraining hand upon sinful men, the bounds of their depravity likely would know no end. Nevertheless, thy will be done. Now again, bless us as we direct our attention to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We left off, we've been studying the last two or three messages concerning ministerial giving from verses 6 and 7 and 8 of Galatians chapter 6 where it reads, Let him that is taught in the word communicate, that's literally give, unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh uh, reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And so far, we really haven't gotten off verse 6 with regard to uh, not only how ministers are to be supplied by their congregation, but also how they are to be uh, regarded by the congregation. And in doing so, we looked at 1 Thessalonians 5, where it talked about that they ministers are to be esteemed and and very highly, and we looked at those uh, that those words there, and I'm continually amazed at the fact that the word esteem means to be uh, counted with great honor. But the word very highly is a word that 
if I remember correctly, only the Apostle Paul ever used is one that he made up. And it's made up of a word that means very highly in itself as we looked at various, various places where it was used. But then in the Greek language, when you put a preposition on it, that makes it uh, stronger. And Paul went beyond that and put two prepositions on it. And it would be like in our language saying super duper. Super duper. And then we looked at, and this is where we left off last Lord's Day, looking at 1 Timothy chapter 5, where it talked about those that rule over uh, the house of God, the elders that rule, uh, rule over, or that rule well, that they are to be counted worthy of double honor. And we looked at some uh, verses with regard to that uh, word rule and the word honor. And whatever the honor is, it is double. Uh, the word in itself is uh, diplos. Uh, and you know that in our English language, uh, we, have, we use the word dip sometimes. DIP, especially the <coughs> excuse me, especially the die part meaning two. You know, uh, uh, well, one thing comes to mind uh, when you have two vowels that are joined together and pronounced singularly, like AI, you know, I'll. You wouldn't say A-I-S-L-E, uh, uh, you know, I'll. Uh, that's called a diphthong. It's, it's two vowels put together. Well, in other words, it's, a, it's duplicating something, whatever the honor is. And I believe that I told you last Lord's Day, I believe that uh, very likely it's the word honor here may be double pay. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to read from three other men in order to try to be as open and honest where this double, whatever it is, double honor, that you might get a better idea and a better picture if it means something other than just double pay. Gill said of this, he says, which some understand of honor in this world and in the world to come and which they have. They are honored now by Christ, though reproached by the world by being called unto, qualified for, and succeeded in the work of the ministry. And when they have faithfully discharged it, they will be honored by Him hereafter and be introduced into His joy with commendation and shine as the stars forever and ever. 
but rather this is to be understood both of that outward respect that is to be shown them by words and actions, and of a sufficient maintenance that is to be provided for them in which sense the word honor is used in this chapter before. And some think that the comparison is between the widows before mentioned. In other words, I'll kind of stop here. You remember in uh, the first part of First Timothy chapter 5, it talks about <clears throat> uh, in uh, says in verse uh, 3, Honor widows that are widows indeed. But then it says if, uh, if the widows have uh, kinfolks that can provide for them, that the kinfolks should do so. But then coming on down, it says, uh, verse 9, uh, Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man, and, and so on and so forth. But anyway, uh, so uh, Gil is saying here that some believe that it's talking about uh, the widows, and if the widows are taken care of, then the ministers ought to be taken care of twice as much or more than the, the widows. <clears throat> and he said, And some think that the comparison is between the widows before mentioned and these elders, that if the poor widows in the church are to be honored and maintained, then much more the officers of it. These are worthy of more honor, even of double honor, or a larger and more honorable main tenant. And indeed, this seems to be the meaning of the word double when used both in an ill and in a good sense, and is an allusion to the firstborn among the Jews who was to have a double portion of his father's goods. And he gives Deuteronomy 21.17 for that, where the firstborn, you know, they got double the inheritance. And so may here signify that the minister of the gospel ought not to have a short and scanty, but a large and honorable maintenance. And then John Calvin had some good comments on this, and I'll read those. Chrysoptum, that was a preacher in the early days of Christianity. He was one that uh, uh, was had a good way of speaking, and he was often referred to, or sometimes referred to, as the the golden mouth Chrysoptum. In other words, he had such a, uh, a good delivery. Chrysoptum in, interprets double honor as meaning support and reverence. I do not oppose this opinion, said Calvin. Let it be adopted by anyone that chooses. But for my own part, 
I think it is more probable that a comparison is here drawn between widows and elders. Paul had formerly enjoined that honor should be paid to widows, but elders are more worthy of being honored than widows, and with respect to them ought therefore to receive double honor. <clears throat> Before I read A.T. Robertson, I want to say this in, see, uh, in uh, reading what Gill and Calvin said in making the comparison of the preacher to the widows. Uh, I myself personally find it hard to believe and, and it's not doing that in one sense and yet it could be in another of thinking that the minister is more important than the widow. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe the minister is more important than the widow. I know I don't, uh, I don't deem myself more important than the widows of this congregation. Nevertheless, God did establish an order. And we cannot deny what the Scriptures teach and what may be taught here. Uh, my, my point is, if it is a comparison of the ministers to the widows, the Scriptures plainly teach that both should be supported. Now, we have lived in a socialistic environment so long that congregations, as a rule, do not support widows today. The government does. And some congregations, particularly this one, <laughs> couldn't support widows. Uh, this congregation is supported more by widows than it than otherwise but anyway regardless of that we uh, the the point that i'm making is scripturally in a strong congregation you know some congregations are so weak that they can't provide for the ministry uh, like they desire and the minister has to get a job i've had to do that uh, somewhat in my own ministry and uh, I, you know, I don't uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, that didn't bother me <laughs> I guess that's what I'm trying to say though I've always tried to uh, live of the ministry if I could early in my <clears throat> ministry uh, I actually uh, quit a good paying job with the government to live on what the congregations that I was pastoring at that time gave me. And basically, I just lived from uh, one week to the next. But I was able to do that for 10 years. For 10 years. In fact, I know this is uh, kind of straying off course, but uh, while I was working, I had an eye to toward hopefully uh, being full time, and so 
I tried to buy uh, suits and uh, clothes for the ministry where I'd have extra on hand. And then when I quit my job, uh, the Lord let me wear out every one I had. And I was trying to figure out how to save up to uh, buy a new suit because it was the suit that I was wearing was being, uh, it was actually uh, frayed around the sleeves and uh, a deacon of the congregation took me to a store one day and bought a suit for me. And from that time on, uh, someone uh, had mercy on me and bought some clothes or gave me money for clothes. And I was, like I said, I was able to uh, live that way for 10 years. And then had to get a job again uh, to uh, to make a living and to feed uh, my, not only myself but the family and, and things of that nature. So uh, not every congregation that can, but if a congregation can, they should support their minister without question. And we could give many, many, many other scriptures that we <clears throat> then we have uh, given in this discourse to to show that and uh, as I've said before in each of the other messages on this subject I'll interject it here and say it again at the end this congregation has always done uh, as, as much as it could and uh, so <clears throat> I don't think this congregation as a whole has failed in it at all. A.T. Robertson said of this double honor, Old and common contract adverb. Diplus. In other words, he's saying this Greek word diplus was an old uh, not only an old adverb, but it was a common adverb. Twofold, in opposition to haplus, singlefold. But why of double honor? And he says, see First Timothy uh, six one, where it says, "There let as many servants." as are under the yoke count their own master, worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. He said, while white, I don't know who what white this is, he didn't uh, say, white suggests remuneration rather than honor for time aid. In other words, uh, the, uh, the word for honor is time A. So there's one writer that Robertson quotes says that he suggests that this is money. That it's a common, that the word time A is a common use for price or pay, which we looked at that somewhat last Lord's Day. Leiden, now that's from, uh, 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 a Greek scholar proposes honorarium 
both honor and pay, and so double. Weinstein, another guy he quotes, gives numerous examples of soldiers receiving double pay for unusual services. Some suggest twice the pay given the enrolled widows. So I gave all three of these to show this is kindly a a selection of many commentators about this, how that it could mean one or the other. And give you an idea. Or it might be it might be double pay, it might be just uh, double esteem, or it might be double means they need to be highly esteemed and paid well, and, and so on. So I wanted to be as fair and open as I could <laughs> and to give uh, all of those different ideas. Though if I were to say, well, which one do you think it is? I would say, well... Uh, I would lean toward the fact that it has the idea of double pay. But regardless of the meaning of whatever the double honor is, it is not double honor given to any preacher. Notice what it said. The elders that labor, that first of all, they rule well, that is good. In other words, the leadership that they're giving is a good and an honorable and an upright leadership. But also, they labor in word and doctrine. It's not a preacher that will sit around and dream up something to say and then look in the Bible and find a verse of Scripture that might uh, sound like it goes with the subject matter and preach. I will say this. uh, I heard this was reported to me of, of a preacher one time that preached a sermon on grass. And it's talking about green grass and how pretty green grass was and how soft good grass is and grass this and grass that. I don't remember all the points. But guess what the text was? When the Lord went to feed the 5,000, they sat down on green grass, one of the Gospels say. All that says and all that verse teaches is they sat down on grass. Grass doesn't mean anything other than grass. And, and so on. But you get the point. And yet some people thought, oh, I just never saw that in the Bible before. I guess not. It wasn't in there. He made it up. He wasn't laboring in the Word. And he wasn't laboring in the doctrines or the teachings or the truths of the Scriptures. I can tell you this from experience. In order to figure out 
many times what a verse of Scripture is actually teaching, it takes a lot of hard work. And this congregation knows that sometimes when I'm trying to explain what a word is, I can find out no better way than just to look at that word how it's used in the Bible in many other different places. You say, well, you could just tell us and we would believe you. Yes, you could do that. But I don't want you to just believe me. I want you to believe the Word. I'm not the authority. God is the authority. And you, and you need to know what the Word teaches. <clears throat> so therefore, like I said, there are a lot, a lot of preachers that are called pastors or called a lot of different things, but they don't labor in word and doctrine. And rightly so, if they were paid according to their work, they'd starve to death. And rightly so. And rightly so. That reminds me, I'll chase another rabbit here in a minute. I think I've told the congregation this before, but when I did go into the full-time ministry, like I said, I was just barely making it, but I was making it. That's the point. I could live on what the congregation gave me. And as far as I know, they were... uh, uh, I don't know that the congregation was stingy or anything of that nature. As far as I know, they were paying me well. But I was making it. I was just barely able to make it, but I was making it. And then we were going to have a meeting. For some of you out there on the internet, it would be Bible conference. (laughs) But they had their former, a former pastor to come and to hold the meeting. And the first night of the meeting, he directed the congregation to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and asked that the congregation read that. Well, he came back the next day. That was on Friday night. Saturday morning, he got up and said, that he had asked the congregation to read Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, but he doubted that anybody had really done so. So he turned and read Second Thess- Thessalonians chapter 3. And then when it got down to the point where it said that if any will not work, don't let him eat. And he emphasized that looking at me and his implication was to the congregation that since I had quit work I ought to starve to death. Now this man was quite rich had a wealthy business had a furniture business in fact 
But I thought it was quite unique that he didn't finish the meeting. He got called away on Saturday. Somebody had died and they wanted him to preach the funeral. And he left the meeting to go preach the funeral. So, but his implication was that I ought to starve just simply because I quit my job and I was able to live on what the congregation gave. So you can see how that this subject with regard to the ministry and, and the pay to the ministry can be uh, used uh, in many ways for good or bad. For good or bad. Oftentimes, when a congregation is fed up with a minister, one of the things they'll do is cut back on his pay. Yeah. I know of one man that happened to him twice. And if it ever happened to me, I, I, I don't ever remember it. But anyway, but I still want to emphasize that some ministers, like I said, they don't deserve double pay. They don't even de deserve a, a single pay. They don't even deserve to be in the ministry. But God will take care of that in His own time. But I want to say again before I leave this topic, I want to, and I think I've made that clear, not only in the previous discourses, <clears throat> but in the one today. But I want to say again that I commend this congregation for their generosity toward the ministry, not only financially, but also regarding the respect of the office in general and to me in particular. The only caveat, the only exception to my knowledge of this congregation was a family that always had money to spend on luxuries, but generally made excuses for not having funds to contribute toward the house of God. And it's no wonder that they, as far as I know, uh, went through three bankruptcies. And maybe even more, but I'm not sure. Alright, now we'll go on to verses 7 and 8. Notice that verse 7 is often quoted with regard to man uh, any sin. In other words, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Well, let me say this. 
That is a principle that will apply to any sin. I'm not denying that. But in the context, it is talking about one thing. It's talking about giving. And it's talking about principally giving to the ministry. But I'm going to make the application not only giving to the ministry, but giving to the house of God. There's more to giving than just the preacher's pay. Now there's some, there's one denomination that I know of, they teach that 10% of what's given by the congregation, that the congregation is supposed to give a 10 to the tithe, 10%, and all of that goes to the ministry. And then whatever else they give goes to the support of the congregation, keeping the building up and things of that nature. Well, you can't prove that. You can prove from the Old Testament economy that the, the, the priests were taken care of by the people. And in olden days, let me say this, uh, in reading the history of Christianity, you find that many uh, preachers in the past, they were not paid so much money but they were paid so much goods. In other words, somebody in the congregation may give the the pastor's family uh, a ham or a side of beef or maybe a whole animal or give some uh, produce, you know, their corn, grain to feed the animals and and clothing and things of that nature. Giving is more than just monetary giving. Though monetary giving is included in it. Sometimes some of the best gifts that can ever be given to a minister is someone coming alongside him and comforting him in troublesome times. You know, word in due season how good it is. You know how good it is sometimes when somebody comes along beside you and, and says something that just seems to uh, 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 put a spark in your soul. So, but for teaching's sake, we'll kind of come along with the monetary uh, side of this. But notice what he's saying here. In verses 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit Reap life everlasting. In other words, we're going to look at some verses of Scripture to try to substantiate what I'm fixing to say, but I want you to see the road sign 
of where we're headed. <clears throat> if a person uses his, we'll just like I say, we'll just use money. Could be his time, it could be his talents, it could be a lot of things. But if a person is just using his money for what he can buy for himself, whatever he spends that on is going to wear out and come to nothing. He's flowing, he's sowing to the flesh. He's going to reap corruption. In other words, say he buys him a new suit of clothes, or buys a lot of just buys a lot of stuff. All that stuff's going to wear out. It's going to corrupt. It's going to come to an end. It's going to deteriorate. There's no reward in that. And he spent everything for his flesh. Now I think there's more judgment involved in what I'm saying here, but we can say at least it's that much. We can say at least that it's that much. He now let me say this. <clears throat> Whatever money a man has, it is his. You say, well, didn't God bless him to get it? Yes, God blessed him to get it. But what I'm, well, let's turn to Acts chapter 5. This thing's getting bigger than I thought. I've got more things here than i got on my notes. That's all right. Sometimes I have more on my notes than what I say. <laughs> Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 1, But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I'm not going to read chapter the last part of chapter 4, but uh, <clears throat> Barnabas uh, had done that. But he, he sold a piece of property. Let's say he sold an acre for $10,000. And he came and gave the congregation $10,000. And Ananias and Sapphira... They sold a possession. Let's say, well, we don't know what the possession was, but let's just say they sold ten, an acre of ground too and got a $10,000, but they only gave 5000 indicating that they gave everything like Barnabas did. But notice in verse 4, now, by the way, Peter, I mean, Ananias and Sapphira, you'd have to read all down through uh, well, down through several verses 
verse 9 at least. But you'll find that they lied not only to the congregation, they lied to the Lord, they lied to the Spirit. And they lied to God. But notice what it says in verse 4. While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? So having said all of that, to show that whatever money a person has that God has blessed him with and so on, it's his. It's his. And he has the right to do with it as he pleases as long as he doesn't rob God. As long as he doesn't rob God. And if a man has an income and not only the house of God, but the minister should be uh, awarded a certain uh, amount. And lest I be misunderstood, let me say this. A congregation may tell the minister, we're going to give you so much money a week or a month or whatever. That's alright if they want to do that. But a minister should never say to a congregation, you must pay me so much for me to preach. He's a hireling and he ought to be run out of town on the rail. But let's say that the congregation is, has uh, determined that they're going to give the minister so much and it takes so much to keep the building up where they meet and all of the expenses and things of that nature. And they t- uh, and if that's reported to the congregation. But if a man out there in the congregation says, you know, well, uh, I'm just, uh, I-, I can't do that. I can't give that much because I don't have that much money. But, He went in debt to buy a car. He went in debt to buy a house. He went in debt and bought a boat. Went in debt and bought some uh, uh, camping equipment. Went in debt and bought him an RV. You see where we're going with that? He's, He's not to do that for himself. The cause of Christ comes first. Cause of Christ comes first. We'll get to this in First John, but it says in First John, if any man see his brother have need, and he shut up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? In other words, men that do such things as that are only sowing to the flesh. They'll reap corruption. They'll reap corruption.
with regard to giving, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, just for one place. And as we're looking at this subject, not only with regard to the ministry, but we're looking at it with regard to giving as a whole, you'll see this here, talking about ministering to the saints. For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is perfilous for me to write to you, for I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you of them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Now what Paul is saying there, he's saying to the, the Achaia is where Corinth was. And Paul said a year ago, y'all bragged about how much you were going to give. Well, they weren't really bragging. Uh, they had said how much they were going to give. Uh, that's, I should have worded that away. For the poor saints of Jerusalem. Remember Jerusalem had a drought. And Paul went around taking up money to take back to Jerusalem for the people there and so they could be have food and clothing and, and things of that nature. But Paul told the congregation uh, ahead of time, I'm going to be coming through and I'm going to take up the money and Corinth evidently had told Paul, you know, well, you come through, we're, we're going to, uh, we're going to, maybe, maybe they said we're going to give so much. But anyway, Paul had been bragging. Notice what he said in verse 2. I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast, I brag of you to them of Macedonia. In other words, he was bragging about to other folks, all the folks at Corinth, they're going to be giving such and such. And, and, and he was commending them for what they were giving. And he said, your zeal has provoked very many. In other words, your zeal has caused others to give greatly. And, and Paul goes on to say in other places, now don't let me down. <laughs> but anyway, verse 3. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, ye may be ready. Paul had already sent some other folk going ahead to get the money up. And as we know from other places, uh, well, I don't have time to chase all those rabbits. Verse 4, Lest happily if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, that we say not ye, should be ashamed in this self-same confident boasting, or in this same confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty. Whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. 
But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he that dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that minister seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruit of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. Now I read all of that to say this, that Paul was telling the congregation that people that give liberally, God also blesses liberally. God blesses liberally. Now you can only give what you can give. You should never read all of these things and think that you ought to be giving more when maybe you shouldn't. Only you and God can determine that. Only you know your situation. But remember, God knows the situation too. You know, for somebody out there in the internet land that may be hearing this, say, well, I know what I can do. Well, God knows what you can do too. So you have to take it up with God. But you can't outgive God. God always takes care of His people. Some people He blesses to be rich. Others, He just lets them get by. But get by they do. Get by they do. Well, we've got more to say about this, uh, but we'll stop here for this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the clarity of Your Word. I pray that anything that I would say would never put a, a burden on someone beyond what You would have. I pray that it would be a blessing to those who are giving as You would have. And only you can determine that as a general rule. Obviously, if a person is covetous, it, it really stands out. Thank you for being there and supplying our needs all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.